I'm gonna be big one day. I'm gonna be big. Welcome to episode 321 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts, where we are back in the saddle, two lone horsemen riding through the valley of Silicon. Okay. Or the, uh, what was our valley called? Do we have a valley? The San Gabriel Valley? Oh, yeah. The Valley of San Gabriel? The Valley of San Gabriel? (laughs) That's our actual valley. (laughs) (laughs) Right. How's it going? Yeah, not bad. Not bad. So I feel good about getting back on some kind of routine and we got yeah. some we got some nice comments and uh which i always really appreciate i have to say um yeah so it, you know when you when our listeners take the time to you know say something and especially when it's uh generally positive it's uh it makes me want to do the show more often uh-huh you know it makes me good because you know i always get the impression like i'm not the impression i i, I always wonder like ah does anyone does even, anyone listen? is even <laughs> listening anymore to like seven people you know like what should we even bother um but then when you hit you hit people commenting and say hey it was great to hear you guys again and you know whatever and you know whatever their input is it's uh it makes me go okay yeah this is this we should keep doing this did we talk about the alchemist camp thing on the last show alchemist the the, camp? the, the, the guy who uh who I met during um, the Nugget sales calls, who no. basically slurped up, slurped up uh, every episode from episode seventy. <laughs> in a few months, he must have been listening. He started eight hours it. He a day. started at seventy. Started episode seventy. Why seventy in particular? Uh, I I think because um, that's that's. I, I'm not actually sure. Because ninety starting at ninety just seemed a little late. No, and... no. I think I think that was as much as he could get from the feed. You know. Oh uh, yeah. But but I, I'm not sure why that is because the only place where you can get all the shows is um, is Dropbox, my Dropbox, and then from the web from the website, I believe it just shows back a hundred episodes. So I'm not entirely sure. Well, I remember that one guy. This was probably seven, six, seven years ago or something. He said he he had like a road trip and he dr- had to drive like twenty four hours straight and he just listened to texting the entire time. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Well, I've done that myself for a number of shows where I found it, where I found something I've liked and I just had it on like a continuous play. I haven't done that in a while, but yeah, I haven't found it. I haven't found a show that I connected with that well. Okay, I got his name. It's Mark from Alchemist Camp, and Mark sent us a really nice email saying that he had uh, listened to every show since episode 70, but already knew you because he'd seen you speak at, um, in San Francisco. Do you remember what it was the, for? The boot, the, the boot camp thing. Remember the guy who, oh, who helped ha- us with Hack Reactor? Hack Reactor? Yeah, that's right. CJ. CJ, that's it. CJ, so CJ was like our intern, right? Yeah. He was like, I don't know, he was like 19 years old or something. He was living at home. I think he was going to Pasadena City College and like repairing iPhones and stuff on the side. You know, was just just a kid, right? Uh-huh. And he he had been listening to our sh- show, and um, was like, hey, when we started working doing Catalyst and working with the kids after school, he was like, hey, I'd love to help out. That remember? was it, yeah. And he helped us out for like a year or something, and then he moved up to San Francisco to do Hack Reactor, and then which at the time was called Catalyst, right? Remember that? Uh-huh. Yeah, like, that was cool, Catalyst. Yeah. Right. And then they had to change the name for, uh, you know, trademark reasons or whatever. And so they became Hack Reactor. And um, I think that he mentioned my name or something to one of the guys who ran it, who then invited me to to speak. And I just kind of went over and gave a story time. 
Two of them once or twice. So two, he I said, think two different times. It, reading his email, he said, you know, CJ, CJ told me that this guy was coming to speak. And he was he was super worked up, and I could I couldn't understand like why was he so excited about seeing this guy come and speak, and then and then I saw Jason speak, and I was like, oh, I get it. And Jason's the first sort of public speaker I'd seen in that way, which is kind of cool. But <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> well, it's nice. That's but nice now, to hear. but from listening to from listening to all of the shows on texting, he heard about Amy Hoy, and right. then heard about Thirty by Five Hundred, and he just signed up to do Thirty by Five Hundred on the back of texting. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> so he's just going through that right now. Well, that's the thing I think about our show that has happened. We have influenced people's lives because we For have sure. yeah. presented them with cool things. You know, just like we find stuff on Hacker News we wouldn't have found. You know, mm-hmm. it's like we mentioned something like, that's, maybe I'll look into that. That actually does sound kind of cool or that is a good idea, which is nice. I mean, people have emailed us back a number of times saying, hey, man, really appreciate because I went for you guys. I wouldn't have known about X or I wouldn't have tried Y. And it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It's, it's great. Um, I also got, uh, well, oh, just, you know, it's funny, the, um, speaking of the, of the speaking engagements, the stuff, I haven't done that in a long time, but, um, uh, and I think I only did it like five times, maybe. Total. Yeah. I don't Not too much. Yeah. You I, dabbled. I, you dabbled. I dabbled. It was fun. You know, I mean, basically I would just do story time. Uh-huh. So rather than um, uh, going in and say, well, I'm going to give a talk about the best practices in, you know, engineering infrastructure or just something that. You typically hear from, you know, uh, a nerd like me. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, you know, I was like, I like listening to stories. So I would go and I go, who wants to hear a story? And it was like, <laughs> yes, everybody wants to. Hear. People love stories, right? Stories are so much more entertaining than say ten lessons learned in this or you know whatever. But um, those are always a lot of fun. And I, I always go in and I think. You know, it's kind of thing. You're like, oh, I'm. You're pretty, pretty confident that it work. And then right before, you're like, oh shit, I hope I, <laughs> I have something to talk about. And then it, for some reason, it always seemed to fall uh-huh. together pretty well. But um, I also got an email from Sean K. Murphy, who we interviewed almost ten years ago. Yeah, that's a long time ago. He he, he says that he's a day. You you know, I you guys interviewed me about a decade ago, and I'm like. I did anything a decade ago. <laughs> like, what has happened to my life a decade ago? You know, saying it's like you'd be surprised. You you'd be you'd be surprised at how little you can get done in a year and how much you can get done in ten that's years. Bill Gates. Yeah, yeah that's Bill yeah, Gates. Yeah. You might also be surprised at how little you can get done in ten years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Addendum. I was like, uh, yeah. So don't assume you're gonna get a lot done. But uh, yeah, so that was so he he had done a. Um, sort of an extension of uh, how to increase your luck surface area. So mm-hmm. thinking of luck surface area as almost like a, uh, am I, it's just a theory, right? It's like just a, fo- a, a foundation of a, co- the foundation a, of a theory. It's yeah. a mathematical model or something, yeah, right? Yeah. He created an extension on it. And, and what happened, which that's what it reminded me of is like a lot of times there's these mathematical models of things. And then what will happen is people, researchers come in later and go, yeah, that's mostly true, but it's more true if you restrict the inputs to this or you apply it in this situation. And so you have various extensions to the model, mm-hmm. which make it work better and under circumstances are more true in certain situations. So it's funny when he did that. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's basically he, he I'll, we'll link to it, but he, um, he basically integrated the cost, you know, like how much you, if you, you know, it costs to spend you know, doing versus telling or whatever, you know, sort of a cost feature into yeah. it, which I thought was interesting um, and very well done. I mean, the, the it was, 
it's always cool, of course, when someone does something built on something you did. You're like, wow, okay, that's neat, you know. Well, for sure, that we'll do that. I'll link to that in the show notes. And well, I mean, you know, I I talk about well, first of all, Lux surface area. I talk about a lot in the academy. Do you really? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's it's but but it's foundational. But as well as that, Lux surface area made me start thinking about mental models in general because of mm. Gabriel Weinberg. Weinberg's all his Gabriel Weinberg model. did a post about mental models and yeah. included Lux surface area as one of them, which made me start thinking about mental models and create a bunch, you know, a, a few other ones, but Lux surface area. I, th- I think that's a really, I think surface area in its own right is such a great way of describing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah that's, I mean, that's basically all it is, is just a, as just sort of a visualization. Yeah. So, so the, why mental models are important is it simplifies something. I mean, it reduces the truth of it because it yeah. takes something that's always different in every circumstance. It says, okay, here's essentially the primary fact, driving factors or whatever, but something you can actually remember. So that when you're in a situation that has complications and emotion and stuff, you can go, okay, <laughs> mental model. Like I, it's just, it's very simple. There's two things and there's three things. Mm-hmm. But that was a great post by Gabriel. I, that was a, Graeber was a super smart guy, so it's not surprising that he wrote something like that. Yes, but. so many. So what are, like, what are the big mental models that you that you uh, you highlight? Can well, you bring a thing? The, the most important, the, the most important one for me has been hyper iteration. The mental models usually come from stuff we've spoken about on the show. So hyper iteration comes from Paul McCready creating the first human powered flight, uh, the Gossamer Condor, um, and that's that's just huge because you basically answer the question you know, is this going to work as fast as possible? So you just always run everything through that filter. What is the fastest possible way I can get the answer to the question? Well, it's just, you know, and I think Paul Graham had sent a version of that as well, which is like, you know, what what differentiates uh, startups that succeed versus ones that fail, tend to fail, are is the rate of learning. Rate of learning, yeah. You know, and, you know, that's just another way of talking about it. Um, yeah, so the quicker, and, you know, anytime I've been thinking about what I need to be doing or I've been talking to another startup, I'm just like, you know, whatever it takes to get something in users' hands, get actual people doing it, like learning. Because if you're not learning, you're probably making more mistakes, which is costing time and money, and you're getting further away from your goal. Something else that I talk about is recursive quality factor, which is, again, something we spoke about on the show. And it took me a, a while to get a good name for it, but it's that thing where you go into a restaurant and if you um, look at the, the the napkin and it's paper, you know that the food's probably not going to be great. You know, it's like well, you know, yeah. another another. And if you if you haven't talked about this, maybe you bring this up in the lesson. But the um, I think it was I can't remember which rock band it was. It might have been like Van Halen or the Stones or something. But they had a they had this like when they would do a concert at a venue, they would have this like a hundred page contract or something with all these things that had to be, they had to have X number of electricity and this amount, you know, this amount of audio, blah, 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 and, the, and this amount of dressing rooms. And, but they also had a thing about M&Ms or something. Yeah, that was Do you remember that one? It's like, there's, you can have no real M&Ms. When you have, M&Ms to, you have no, to have a bowl of brown M&Ms or something, something like that. Something like that. Something to, so stupid and so small, but it wasn't about the M&Ms. It's like, are these people paying attention, paying attention to the details? Because yeah. if they're, if they, they get the M&Ms wrong, then, they, then they're, they're probably going to rig the lighting wrong. It's going to land on someone's head or something yeah. major is going to screw up. And we don't want to do uh, a concert in a situation like that. Anyway, so um, it's the same kind of thing. That'd be, if you could find that story yeah. to include in your lesson, I think it'd be worth it because it's such a, it illustrates it so well. That's good. Yeah, that is a good story. Uh, what else? Man on Wire, which I have a whole yeah. lesson yeah, about. Yeah, you love that one. Um, then um 
Uh, I can't, I, there are a few other ones, but I can't remember them right now. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, let's say, well, Sean was talking about, um, uh, you know, maybe we could interview him again at some point. Sure. You know, do a follow up with him. I'll send I mean, it up. I think you, you, you I, interview because you like to do the interview shows one one on one, right? Don't you? Well, I one of us to do it. I don't care. Sure. It's just I, I find that two people doing an interview is a little bit of a you know, you're talking over yeah, each sure. other, and yeah. you know, one person wants to go down one lane, the other one person going down another lane, and you're kind of fighting over the steering wheel, and it gets kind of awkward. But um, he, well, I looked back at the show, and we had some of the best feedback we've had. People were just like, this th- this is one of the best interviews I've heard. You guys you know, are just as good as these other big ones and stuff. And so I was like, oh, because I, I didn't really remember the show very well. I mean, it was so long ago. Uh-huh. So I was like, okay, yeah, it could, it could work. Well, let's get him back on. Yeah. So what are you up to? Well, let's, let's talk about the fact that Uber is IPOing. And uh-huh. what, what I want to talk to you about is, so you, you have stock in this company and you are going to make a material amount of money. Let's not talk about amounts or anything like that. But what I wanted to say to you is, because I've been doing research for Founder First because I'm I'm writing a book. I, I've, mm-hmm. I think I've mentioned that to you and we can talk more about that later. But the numbers are, it, it's impossible. Like you are you are in a very, very minute, of, of all people in the world, you are in a very unlikely situation to actually A, be part of this and B, be getting this this money. It's It's absolutely insane. Do you realize how lucky you are? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It, it's. It's. It's a. It's, it's. They call them unicorns for a reason, I guess. And this is a super unicorn because it's a hundred unicorns, which is very strange because a, a unicorn, quite literally, quite literally, is one in in nine hundred thousand companies. <laughs> <laughs> one unicorn is one in nine hundred thousand. Of what people who what of guess? all companies in the world. Like if you <laughs> if you look at how many companies there are in the world. There's one unicorn per 900,000 companies. And then if you look at all the unicorns in the world, there is, you are like in, in one in 200 or one in 150 of all the unicorns in the world. Wow. So it's, it's really, really long odds for you to be in this situation. And then you, you're not even, <laughs> you didn't even get in there with like a 10% stake or something. You got in there with like just this tiny amount of, yeah, Shares. I mean, I did everything I could not to make money from the deal, right? I turned down the CTO position. I didn't negotiate anything. I didn't care. I was just sort of like, I lost my options uh, grant. I had to, you know, it was gone. I, Travis, said, yeah. Travis said, I'm going to make you rich even though you don't want it. Yeah, he's just like, I'm going to shove this money down your throat, you idiot, you know? Um, yeah, you know, I... It was funny. I just had someone email. Howie Camp, I think his name was one, emailed me, Very but he was strange. a listener. And we were talking about, he, he was asking, this is another thing, he was asking about hiring developers. You know, how I found, because I, I mentioned how I'd hired this one company that I was working, or that I was advising, and I got them to hire uh, an, an, a React Native developer off of Upwork. And I found this kid for 20 bucks an hour who just graduated college, and the thing worked out really well. I think we got an entire full-fledged um, iOS Android app for like 10 grand. And he's just like, and I, and I was like, you know, and I also, I didn't really put him through a rigorous interview. I just kind of talked to him and I said, this guy sounds like he's pretty good. And he's like, it sounds like he just got lucky. I'm like, yeah, that's true. But I tend to get lucky a lot. So yeah. it's sort of like my go-to move. I mean, so like, do, do you, does it feel like you've got, uh, you've landed something that's well beyond one in a million shot? 
Yeah, I mean, it's, well, it's crazy. You know, of course, I've lived with this reality for a long time. I mean, people go back to the show and they can hear me talking about it from their beginning. And it's just this consulting contract. And then once I realized it was going to be a big deal, um, I mean, I never realized that I would make any city of money. I, I, at a certain point, I mean, I had so few options. I was like, uh, if I put my kids through college, that would be a huge win. That would be a huge win, um, which is still a lot of money, but it isn't like, you know, I'm going to go start a venture capital firm or something. Um, so, you know, it turned out to be a little more than that. And, uh, and, but yeah, it's the whole thing is, was been very surprising, sort of obviously. Flies in the face of that control of outcome discussion we had last show. It's like you had 0% control of the outcome in every possible way. And you still are one of the luckiest people on planet earth. Well, I did have some impact, right? <laughs> yeah. Like I did just show up. I mean, it wasn't like I was just painting a mural on the wall or it was something. Not, it's not just like a, lo a lottery ticket. Like your work was super valuable for the company. Yeah, I'll say, yeah. And, I mean, I, I, would, I, know I, wanna, I don't want to overstate and I, I don't want to understate. So what I did do, I think, which is important, is I got them a, high, a, a, a really good dispatch system, which is sort of the brain. The high-frequency uh, brain, yeah. Yeah, the, and, and I, had, I had the whole thing. And, and I had everyone do it. I built it node which set the uh, stage for most of, or all of the real-time stuff mm -hmm. was in Node. But the back-end stuff, the API stuff was, was Python. Everything else was Node. And there, were, and there were thousands of developers writing Node. And I think Node definitely helped us accelerate our ability to innovate and get stuff out there. Because if we had built a thing in Java or C++ yeah. or something like that, or even something like Erlang, where you're like, well, you know, it's distributed fast, but like, you know, who knows that it'd language? Be, it'd be really people? interesting to know because, you know, with Friendster, for example, mm -hmm. like the technology was definitely the reason why it failed, right? Is because, that right? It, yeah, because it just was so slow. And, 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 and Dig went through a phase like this where yeah. it was just so painfully slow. I wonder how, it, I wonder if you could put a percentage on it of Uber's success, like how much those, that decision In impact, early days. impacted the success of, of what it became. Yeah, it's it's hard to say, but I yeah. think I think it's a material. I think, I think it was material. a material impact. The fact yeah, that you know how we built things and the way we were building them, and the fact that hey, JavaScript programmers were easy to find. A it's lot at of least ten, you, you'd have to contribute at least ten percent of the success to that. At least. Well, I don't know if I'd say that. I, you think that too I high? wouldn't want to put a number to it because anything yeah. I say is going to sound ridiculous, whether it's too low or too high. It's just yeah, it's so okay. hard to say. Okay. But, but it's 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 a. It's 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 a factor in I, there. For I sure. feel good about my impact on Uber's technology and, and the success derived from that. I feel good. I think as as an individual, I, I think I made a I definitely made a, a, a big impact. So I feel good about that. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't feel like the money that I made from it was totally uh, uh, uncontrolled or totally it had no relation to what I did. Yeah, but. The fact that it turned out to be a lot of money, of course, that sounds kind of ridiculous. The fact that I'm owed anything like that sounds ridiculous at the same time. So I don't know. You're like I think everything you're saying is right. Is that I'm extremely lucky. String is extremely rare occurrence. There are lots and lots of really smart developers and technology people who are building all kind of great stuff who are not who are never seeing anything like that. Yeah. So I don't know what to say other than that. But you know, I did build some really cool stuff. It's it's <laughs> it's, it's so ironic because one of the core tenets of of the founder first book that I'm writing is if you if you're just sort of being logical about what you're doing, chasing a unicorn is one of the dumbest things you could do. 
Yeah. It's, it, because like like I'm saying, it's you, it's good. It's just just to get started, you've got a one in nine hundred thousand chance, which right. is like. I mean, you, Jason Roberts, would not pursue anything that had a one in 900,000 chance. Yeah, right, right. So it's almost like, you know, they say, like, you're not Facebook. You know, there's articles. You're not Google. Like, right. You know, you don't need microservices or you don't need this or you need that. So, no, you're not Google. You're not Facebook. You're not Jason Roberts. Like, you're not going to get that lucky. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you're not going to get that lucky. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and in actual fact, it's, it's so beautiful that you are known for the luck surface area meme because it, it, it ties so perfectly to everything your life is tied up with luck so it is it, that, true. That might be <laughs> it is that's funny you point that out because you know <laughs> yeah. let's 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 tie this into the luck surface area and yeah. the particular story so um i'm not gonna go all the way back in time but i was working on a web version of powerpoint back in 2005 yeah 2005 2004 2005 um i made an effort actually sandy was the one who pushed me to do this. You know, I'm working on this. I'm this. I'm this madman in Pasadena working on this like Ajax stuff. Nobody knows what the hell I'm talking about or can understand or cares. And she's like, "You really need to go up to like San Francisco, Silicon Valley, and talk to some people and show them what you're doing." And I just thought that sounded really weird. Like, what? How, what am? Why would I? <laughs> I'm just gonna go drive down the highway and like, <laughs> hey, you know. So um, I didn't really understand how that how I could realize that. And then there was TechCrunch. There was a little startup blog at the time. Um, by Michael Arrington, and he was doing these couple of these barbecue. He had, had linked one or two of these barbecues. They had like a dozen people show up and kind of do a little show and tell what they're working on. And I said, you know, they seem like nice guys. That'd be fun to just sit around with like maybe twenty people and go around the horn and say, hey, I'm working on this or whatever. Drive up there. I register for a party. This time, there's four hundred people registered. I barely registered. I'm like a 389th person, and I'm like hitting refresh <laughs> ten times a second trying to <laughs> submit it to the sign up wiki. Barely get in. And then uh, I get up there, I drive up there, and uh, I think more than 400 people were there at this house in Atherton. This, he'd rented this big house, and it was just, I had to park like a half mile or mile down the street because there's so many people. I walk in there. It is like the most over-packed house party or frat party you'd ever seen in your life. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know. I could barely move, and you're just kind of inching along, and everyone's just kind of, and it's just so awkward. And I didn't know a single person. And that's person. so not you, you know, you're just... You know, you're not really a frat party kind of person. No, you know, and, and I was like, well, you know, I'm not anti-social by any mm. means, but I'm not, I don't know, that, of course, I don't think it's anyone's scene. Nobody wants to go to a party that's packed and they don't know a single person there. It's awkward. Right, it's right. like something out of a movie or yeah, something, yeah. right? And so, but I drive in, I've driven six hours to get there. So what am I going to do? Yeah, go back to the car? No, I mean, so I'm like, <laughs> so I, I make a few rounds around, see, and I had looked at, there's like two people uh, uh, that I, that a friend of a friend said, Hey, you should talk to so-and-so. And the one guy, I liked his blog and I said, Hey man, you know, I just read your blog. It's really cool. And he's like, Oh wait, thanks. Cool, man. And we talked for five minutes and then 10 minutes and it kind of runs out of gas. Right. And he's other people to talk to. And then I'm like, Oh crap. And then I run into another, and there's one other guy, Chris Messina, who was the guy who was the inventor of the hashtag on Twitter. <laughs> I, I, well, he, he, he invented original Twitter at that time. So I, yeah. I tell people, I know the guy who invented the hashtag. They're like, what? I'm like, yeah, I do. <laughs> like, and Jeff Dean is also the one who taught you my first programming lesson. So again, the luck, right? Just, I have yeah. to know people strangely. So, um, anyway, after about an, a 45 minutes or an hour of having some awkward conversations, mostly just wandering awkwardly around this party, I gravitate towards a sort of like fire pit 
So I was like, you know, I can go, it's kind of cold. It's like 50 degrees, 55 degrees. I'm getting kind of cold. I can go stand by the fire pit, get warm. And at least I won't feel like an idiot because I'm just kind of standing there looking, doing nothing. At least by the, you're standing by the fire warming up. And it turned out perfect. It worked perfect as a strategy because even though it wasn't what wasn't my strategy, people kept coming up to get warm and they'd be like, and everybody like, hey, so what are you working on? <laughs> so, so everyone, so you, it was you made your own personal bat cave. It was, which was <laughs> yeah, it was a perfect setup. I just set up shop there, and then like there was like the guys who created Google Talk, and then I remember the the CTO of Pandora, and I mean it was just like one after another, interesting, friendly people. And then one of those people was Travis Kalanick, who's this young guy. Hey, what are you working on? Oh, and then I said, oh, this is like web is like a web version of PowerPoint. He's like, what do you mean? I start explaining. He's like, mind blow. That's what? That's incredible. <laughs> oh my god, I'd hire you in a second. You know, we should. Oh, we gotta do. We gotta stay in touch. And then, you know, so, I, that, I, so I, he thought about you when he was started UberCab, right? He thought, oh yeah, that guy. Well, he, he, he was doing PowerPoint in Ajax. I need that guy to build my UberCab. Yeah, well, you know, because you know, we we talked for a good 20, 30 minutes, and he was he himself. You know, Travis is not. He's not a programmer, but he is fairly technical, very yeah. smart guy. And so, and he was very involved in the tech of his first company at the time, the company he's working at the time called Red Swoosh, which he then sold to Akamai later. And we interviewed him about it. Yeah. And yeah, we have an interview on if anyone's interested. And um, so he understood kind of the technical chops that took, that went into building something like that. So he was impressed and was like, made, I think made a mental note, like, okay, this is, this is a guy I want to in touch with and i think he also we enjoyed speaking with each other he's like i could i could do business with this guy you know and i never gave that conversation a second thought because i had like 15 conversations like that with people who were doing more interesting things than what he was doing or at least that i could understand as being interesting at the time right and then he would call me maybe once every uh few months well actually say i invited him down to a tech conference and we, we have the bar camp LA yeah, yeah. and he spoke of that. So that we, that solidified our friendship a little bit more. And then he would call me, I don't know, every three to six months with some latest ideas. Hey man, I got this idea. What do you think? Hey, I think I'm learning Python. Could you help me learn? You know, just random stuff. He's, but so that's the luck surface area. So when he started Uber, Uber, that's when he, he gave me a call. So I, it was a do and tell, right? I had been working on something that was extremely challenging. Um, a PowerPoint in a browser, especially back in 2004 or five, right? I was doing something hard, really hard. And I went out my telling and I went, put myself in a position where I connected with people and, and, ex and was able to ex explain what I was doing. And then something completely unrelated to what I was working on. And even what he was working on at the time resulted from that. You know, had I not driven up to San Francisco or had I just gone up to San Francisco just being sort of a fanboy, not really working anything, just kind of screwing around with little mini projects, it would neither, not, not, nothing would have happened. It was a result of those two things. It was, you're absolutely right. This is the, the, the whole situation at Uber is a direct result of that, of a luck surface area play. It's also really weird, just now that you say that, because just before I moved to America, I got this job working for Sky BSB, and it was my, it was my introduction. So before that, I was working for... Um, first consult and we were doing quite a lot of javascript stuff but it was it wasn't something like you were doing with Rizzo. it wasn't sure. hardcore but then i got based off that i got this job working for sky bsb where we where we were creating this um erp this electronic programming guide and the whole thing was in javascript and basically it was just this this completely dynamic 
10,000, 20,000 lines of JavaScript drawing this electronic programming guide. And I really got deep into it then. And it's really weird because you, that's what you were doing with Prezo. Mm-hmm. And we connected. And not that was rare. Like to do that level of job. Do you know what I mean? Well, people thought the, 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 the conventional wisdom among, uh, uh, you know, expert technologists was that JavaScript and browsers was slow and you couldn't do anything serious with it. Like, yeah, you can validate a form, you can do QA animation exactly. and stuff, but you're not going to do anything Something real. Something you copy paste. It's, it, it's almost like a dumb idea. It's almost like it, JavaScript was considered a dumb idea in the same way that Paul Graham looks for dumb ideas that actually turn out to be really good. Yeah, well, because <laughs> what what humans have a hard time doing is projecting into the future what happens when things get keep getting incrementally better. So the browsers yeah. get incrementally better, and what I think the big change was when um, Chrome, when Google created the Chrome browser, and they had and they had that the, guy the create the V8. Now that yeah. Spider Monkey, I think, was uh, oh. is a Firefox okay. thing, but they created the first sort of just in time compiler. You know, for yeah. JavaScript and about you know, and this, I remember the guy. I remember the interview with the guy. He lives in like Denmark or Sweden. He's like super, super brilliant kind of like compiler de- developer. And his team built V8, and then that started to change everything. Now, at the time, there was no when I was around Prisa, there was no Chrome. We were in IE4, mm-hmm. yeah, Firefox 1.2. You know, I mean, it was a it was a shit show. I mean, it was terrible. But then things started to change when Chrome came out, and then Firefox followed suit, and they and then it became the and then Safari, and everybody's fighting for the fastest browser. And then, then of course everything changed. And and I guess you know one thing trap that humans fall into is they just forget to assume that things are going to keep getting better and better and better over a period of years. And whatever technology, it's like, well, it's too slow, or it's too this, or it's too whatever. It's like look at the underlying context which is in if those factors change you know it's like the whole thing with like youtube it's like if you had tried to do youtube a year earlier which there were other companies trying to do uh, an online streaming service there wasn't enough um high bandwidth uh, internet connections and people didn't have enough digital phones but because someone said oh, this is stupid you know i can't get i mean how am i gonna get my like camera i'm gonna get turn something into a video i gotta probably get like a 15 dollar analog to digital compression board and then I go to put my dial. It doesn't make sense. Like it's not gonna be that way forever. Right? And so anyway, it's it's one of those things. Yeah, it's interesting. So so you so sorry I interrupted your story. So no, you, I'm done. I just, you're done. I mean but the, it it's it's infinite it's the chances are infinitesimal. But what I wonder I, I can imagine that you as as you're sort of living your life, you're not really feeling like, oh this is a strange life I'm living. No, I this is just my life. No, it's it's strange. <laughs> okay, <laughs> no, I, I am I am very conscious that my life is is um is uh, abnormal in a lot of ways. There's, I mean, a lot of things about my life that are very very normal, and you know. But the, I've had a lot of I've had a lot of luck. I've, you know, it's weird. Like I was, there's this guy I work out with, and I start telling him stories, and he's just like, "What?" <laughs> like, oh, you tell these? He's like, "What?" <laughs> You know, and he's like, and that just happened. I'm like, yeah, that just happened. Oh, and then just last week, like, what? You know, and I was telling him, like, I was telling him about Jeff Dean. So people know Jeff Dean is like the greatest programmer in the world. I mean, he's the programmer at uh, who developed most of the really important um, algorithms at Google. If you go and look at his page and all the stuff he developed, it's like, it's incredible. Um, and there's all these sort of Chuck Norris like jo- jokes about. It's like 
the compiler doesn't warn Jeff Dean. Jeff Dean warns the compiler. Yeah. <laughs> There's a whole list of McCoy go down there. Hilarious. And some of them are actually just true, which is really funny. And Jeff Dean was, I can't remember if he was two years ahead of me or three. He was either junior or senior when I was a freshman. And I, my math teacher, basketball coach, last advisor, who's an f- actual physicist, he would sort of collect, you know, a half dozen, three to six people within the high school at one point who were showing aptitude and extreme interest in some kind of math, science, computer stuff, right? And he would basically treat them like grad students working on their piece. Okay, here's a, here's a, here, read this paper. Tell me what you think. Why don't you start a project on that? Why don't you, you know, he just get you going on stuff, right? Yeah. And Jeff was like a grad student two years ahead of me. I was a freshman, sophomore, grad student, he was a junior, you know. And I remember, I still remember the time, we're in the hallway and Steve goes, um, Jeff, uh, why don't you um, why don't you go in and uh, give Jason a uh, show him how to how to uh, use uh, Pascal Turbo Pascal because he has a project he needs to he needs to do in Pascal. That's so cool. And so we go in there and he just types like a lightning paper. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just watching this Pascal. I'm like, holy crap! You know, like the, before then I only knew Basic, right? On like an Apple IIe or something, yeah. right? That you know, he's a school. So and uh, yeah, so like, what are the chances? That I know that the this and we come to this little tiny high school with two hundred people in our high school in Atlanta, right? I mean, it's just and and, and he and and then Steve Secure, that math professor, right? He is right. It turns out he started later on was writing a book with John Conway, one of the famous mathematicians of the world at Princeton. He was mentioned by first name on a TV series of numbers. I mean, I what think are I said this to you before. Are we all living in your ancestral simulation? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's, there's just a lot of crazy, uh, crazy stories and crazy connections. So I, I feel like I, you know, I'm, I, I think I've, you know, I've feel fortunate. I feel I've, I've had a lot of luck. I never discount it. Well, that's great. So what, so what's the deal? So basically, Uber's going to IPO. They've, they've filed. And when, when can you like put like, your hands on sell something? Selling any stock? Uh, it's a six month lockup. Six months. Oof. We can't sell stock until six months after. So the prospectus was just what filed the S one or whatever it was like yeah. yesterday or two days ago. I think sometime in May, and then it's six months after that, and then that would we'll see what happens. I mean, the stock could cut in half, it could double, it could stay the same. I have no idea what's going to happen. That's that's great, but yeah. um, you know, but we actually took some money out so that we could buy, buy the house and stuff. So yeah, but yeah, that's uh, yeah. Believe me, Sandy's walk, watching that like a hawk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah nice um so the kids have um you know sandy and the kids have been wanting a dog for all. we had a dog that died about 10 years ago okay. um but uh you know they're just like constant conversation it's like we get a house can we get a dog and so finally we got the fences up and everything and got the back or we sort of did a bunch of stuff to the backyard and put a pool in so now it's like okay now that stuff is done now we can get get a dog and the girls, of course, wanted like a little teacup Pomeranium. I'm like, hell no. Because <laughs> I know he's going to walk in that thing. Yeah. And there's no way I'm going to walk in this little Pomeranium. That would be hilarious. <laughs> like, no. I was like, I want more like a wolf-like dog. I want like a... And um, so we had been looking around at different breeders or getting a Husky or a Shepherd or some kind of mix or something. And then Sandy said, well, there's this, you know, I don't like a rescue kind of place. And they have they have some Husky Shepherd puppies that they rescued and so we looked and yeah yeah so now you know on the one hand they're super cute but 
you know, you know, puppies, it's like you're gonna know, pee everywhere. Well, you got to go through the house training, which is not going to be exciting. They're going to, they're definitely going to chew up and ruin some things that mm-hmm. you don't want ruined. For sure. So you got to yeah. factor that in. You know, they're going to, there's going to be some whining and crying in the middle of the night that are going to wake you up, you know, that kind of stuff. So there's all that kind of, but. Yeah, ooh. but you'll have a dog. We have a dog. We have five, you know, we have five people in the house. We have three kids who have you know, a lot of time in their hands so they can spend a lot of time walking and taking care and training the dog. So it'll be fun. Probably be smart. And you, your kids will train them to do like, is it a him, a girl or a boy? Girl, female. Girl. So, oh, so, and this, but that's even smarter, right? So they'll train, they'll train the dog to do tricks. And well, they, yeah, Sandy bought a couple of dog training books, one for the kid that's like written for kids. And then, and she's been reading it. So kind of the whole step-by-step process. So hopefully we'll be able to pull it off and have a well-trained well trained awesome. dog. Yeah. Yeah. So um what's it with you? Uh well with um I've got two major th- main things to talk about. One would be and I don't know how long they either of them will go into, but um one of them is the book and one of them is the patent. The patent. Let's, let's talk about the book. The book. I don't even know what you're talking about. What book? Okay. So uh I have to I have to tread carefully because I can't sort of uh, divulge certain secrets or certain things. Okay. So I have to tread carefully. Okay. But essentially, I have cut a deal with a book publisher um, who specializes in creating uh, books for people, for business people, business leaders who want to sort of put across their point of view in a book. Okay. Does it make sense? Yeah. And um, <clears throat> you pay, the way that it works is you sort of, buy a package from them mm-hmm. and they will set you up with a writer to help you write that book. Okay. And then they will uh, publish it and distribute it and do all those things. Okay. And it usually costs in the, in the six figures to do this. So you're going to have to pay six figures. I'm not because work- I cut a, because I cut a deal with them where I'm going to give them technology. I'm going to build them some technology. Okay. In return for this. Okay. And so we have, we are a few months into the process of, of writing this book. And so, um, and I think it's something that you, you might enjoy doing one day in not, not with this company or whatever, but I'm just saying, just, Mm -hmm. just writing a book is kind of an interesting thing. So the process has been to, um, sit down and do like a day long interview with me, sort Mm -hmm. of record what I, what I want to say, what my point of view, and then, they've got access to all of the training material in Nugget and all of the blogs posts that I've written. And then they'll, then together we'll work out like an outline for the book and how it's going to be. And then they will take a first draft um, for each of the chapters and then give it to me. So what I was hoping was rather naively that this could be like just completely ghost written (laughs) and that I wouldn't have to do anything. (laughs) Um, But then when they sent the introduction of the book to me and I realized, wait, this is me saying this. And I'm just thinking you would be exactly the same as me. I'm sure that a lot of people they work with are just like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. But I'm just, I think people like you and me, when, so- when something's being said out of our mouths, I, d- I d- don't think we're going to really let someone else say that unless it's exactly what we want to say. Sure. So yeah, I've been like having a lot of sleepless nights about single paragraphs just, re- I know I've got to say this in a specific way. It's just not getting mm. across what I want. Like, how do I say that thing? Um, so, yeah, I am kind of writing a book. I thought that I was getting a book ghost written, but I'm writing a book. 
So they're just providing a lot of the editing services and, and a lot of they'll ways. do they'll they 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 do so they'll they'll have a professional master editor at the end. Then they have a, a writer who is sort of working with me to create the first parts, and then they send them to me. Then I go over them um, and sort of turn them into what I want to say. It's it, it's really well written in the first place. It's, it's just, just it's that not, they don't not quite exactly. They what don't you want. know that they they can't be me. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. But it's very well written. But it's just like, oh, I, that's not exactly what it. And so, for example, I think one thing that's really funny is like when when it's me, you know, speaking to someone i'm like oh this is ridiculous you know that th- this thing that, that they do in the startup world is ridiculous so they hear that and then they write that in the book and i and i just sound like an arrogant asshole okay so they don't <laughs> ca- the they don't catch the tone they don't catch the tone and uh, capture the tone i just sound yeah like so so i'm like wait 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 i'm like i can't say that like that because everyone's gonna hate me so i just have to like dial it back a little bit yeah dial it back and yeah. what's the? do you have a title yet a working title founder first on a first yeah cool yeah cool out of first nice. and um then on top of that working with uh thurston um who is basically a brand specialist um that's what he does is he his real speci- speciality is creating a what, what's called a brand blueprint so yeah. a brand blueprint is is not a visual thing it's a it's a mm, it's like the plumbing of a brand okay so it's like it's like you sort of really work to define what the what the words are and what the concept is and how it's put across, and uh, he usually charges you know I think ten thousand dollars to to create this brand blueprint, and we've it it, it takes a few days uh, maybe two or three days. For the founder first. Yeah. So 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 I've been working with him and I've spent a day and again I'm doing a deal with him where I'm helping him with tech in return for the services that he normally offers. Yeah. So uh, I can read you the 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 kind of the the internal brand statement that we've got for founder sure, first. Sure. Founders struggle because it is seductive for them to think big and operate beyond their means. I show founders how to think small and operate stage appropriate so that they can create the life they want years earlier. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I like it. it. That's it. I like it. So cool. um when did this all start? Because this is all news to me. Yeah, it's been it's been in the works um, for a while. The only person I think I've told about it is Rob Walling <laughs> in, oh, really? an, in an email, probably like five months ago or something. I see. Yeah. So yeah. five months. Yeah. Like oh, it's been a while. Yeah, it's been it's been in the works a while, but it's it it it's taken some time to sort of get to fruition. You know, we we sort of spoke about it. It's five months, three months. I'm not not entirely sure, but it is a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and the reason, the kind of reason why I want to do it is because um, I have this outlandish goal of helping to create this, like, I think we've spoken about this before, like the unicorn narrative is is a mountain, like it's, t- it's tech crunch, it's all this, and for so many founders chase this uni- unicorn narrative. Mm-hmm. But the simple fact is the odds of getting a unicorn are infinitesimal, but even the odds of getting funding are infinitesimal. You've just, just if you start seeking funding, your chances of actually getting funding are less than landing on zero in, on a roulette table, you know? Mm. Um, so. Well, I guess, you know, what's interesting though, when you look, and I think that's a, probably a fair statement if you look at the numbers, is it just so much depends on the person. There's some people you could go like, this person could probably get exactly, funding. Exactly. Where a lot of people, it's like, if I just had to pick someone randomly from a hat, it's like, yeah, there's the numbers. So it just depends. It's like, it, should this completely. person, should this person try and play in the NBA? And and my answer without me will be no. And then you see some dude who's like seven feet tall and can jump through the roof and you're like, okay. 
Maybe. That's right. That's <laughs> maybe, right. Maybe, you know, you just, it just depends. You know, you have to look at the individual person if you have the right traits and background and connections and uh, work ethic and, and well, you know, all those sorts of things that people look at, especially if a pattern matches well. You well, know, with, with, with recent things that's been successful, and you're like, okay, this, this person looks and smells like a lot of other things that have been successful recently. I can, I can see it. And in, in a way, you're kind of defining the problem right there. Yeah. You know, that's the reason why the other 98 out of every 100 don't get there. Yeah. Because they don't look and smell right. right? It's a different, it's a, there's an inherent <laughs> bias against it. Now, but, yeah. But, 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 but the, thing, the thing that I... That, that I I don't know whether I'm going to say it frustrates me, or the thing that I think about is I think about there's two million, there's there's over two million founders every year who are following this path. Mm-hmm. There's over two million people who are chasing funding, but if you just took one million of those people or five hundred thousand, but let's say let's say half of those people, and you said no, no, don't chase funding, just start small, bootstrap something small, build it that way, it would just it would be such a huge change to their lives to say like on mass, you could make a massive difference to, mm-hmm. to GDP, you know, mm-hmm. like you could just make a huge difference because instead of people wasting years and years and years trying to land this, um, very, very low chance of getting funding, they could actually just be building a business. That's true. You know, part of the problem also is I think people who are chasing funding as opposed to doing it, are using it almost as a reason not to do any work. I mean, it's like it's a, it's a form of procrastination. Could be true. I yeah. can't do this until Could I have the money. Truth. They convince themselves they can't do it until they have the money, mm-hmm. and so therefore all they do is dream about it and maybe work on a PowerPoint thing and write a, you know write some descriptions and maybe do a little bit of lightweight financial analysis or market analysis. But they don't do anything because they're like, I need the money. I don't have the money. Where is if you look at a lot of companies that started, people cobbled together products with you know, you know, like barter arrangements, figuring mm. out how to do some of themselves, you know, just scrape building something really small, just doing you know, integrating with consulting, like they just were going to make it happen. Nothing was going to stop them. Right? Nothing was going to stop them at all. Oh, yeah, they were going to great. Whereas, you know, I think, I think that I think there's numbers, the numbers might be exaggerated, but then, you know, because you have a lot of people chasing funding who in a sense, aren't committed enough they're not at really serious founders i mean there probably are a lot because they just well they must be i mean so um you know the the stats that that i've uncovered like it's real it's real vcs saying this you know that there's Mm -hmm. that there's over two million so they must they must be pulling those numbers somehow they must be really speaking to investors somewhere along the way i'm I'm sure they're serious enough to get in front of investors and i'm not saying these numbers aren't real i'm just saying that you know, if you went and met with a bunch of them, you might come back to me and go, yeah, that's like, mm-hmm. they're just full of, they're just full of it. They just, they, they just want to have a, a salary and they want to open an office. They wanted this stuff, but they don't really want to create the product. They don't really want to do the hard work of talking to customers and building Well, I guess that's what the book's for. The book is to, to be put in front of people like that and other people who may be still just really trying hard. I mean, we have a friend who spent the last four years trying to raise funds, you know, a friend of ours, and I don't want to say his name, but you know, I mean, think about it. If, if he had spent the last four years just building something. By hook and by crook. You, you know what I mean? You know, like, just put something together. Like yeah. just, 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 just building something, anything, starting small. Like, because basically, you know, what I, because in my career, 
I've tried. I've tried to think big. I've tried to think unicorn. I've tried to think billion. Mm-hmm. You know, like for 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 most of it, and tried to do pitch decks. And when I moved over to America, I tried. Do you remember that thing yeah, I did? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. mash API and yeah. all channels and all that kind of stuff. And then I did Plugio, and just built something and like got got customers, you know, got, got money. ten bucks, got customers. It was like what the f? I've just yeah. spent twenty years trying to get started. You know, by 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 asking people's permission trying to get money and now i've just built this thing and i'm like going holy crap where would i be if this was the first thing i did mm-hmm. you know like if i'd have done 20 years of this mm-hmm. be like i would be very successful right now mm-hmm. so that is essentially what i'm trying to yeah, yeah. Well, i think one of the the key features among all this is i mean there's a lot of things that people have to understand but is like they got to be ready to do work yeah right you got to be ready to do work if you're not really if you're not really willing to do work and over a long period of time it's just put the book down this is about putting you know putting your back into it there's no way around it you have to work you know i mean i think that's 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 uh you know i mean i think people are chasing funding i think a lot of them think they're willing to put in work but they're not really and so like i said that's a way of procrastinating you know um and i think that's what a lot of us do is we find we find different in very novel ways of procrastinating thinking that we're getting something done. We're not really, because um, it's easier and, and we come excuses why we have to do this other thing. Another another pattern that's slightly related that I've found myself falling into, and I think a lot of us fall into, is we if we do do work and we're doing, de- we, like there's some development work, we over-engineer. It's almost impossible not to over-engineer. It's so difficult. Like I'm doing a secret side project right now and I find, I like, I started it, and one of the first things I did was give you know give it the capability for people to log into the app via Facebook, via Twitter, and you know because that's really really important. It's like really, why am I doing that? If you can't log into Facebook, I don't even think it's considered a (laughs) real app, is it? And you know, it's just like I just realized. Wait a second. Wait, 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 wait. I'm I, I don't even need to build in a subscription system. All I need to do is to build in a system which where I as an admin can create a user account. And then I can send it to Jason to try this thing out. Like that's all I need right now, you know. That's right. And it's so easy to over engineer. Well, well, you know, you know, um, it kind of reminds me of. So my first company that I started with Phil, we had, um, and we had been funded by this larger company, and we were going to, after been working on the thing for like a year, we were flying back to do a show and tell. And this is back when you had like long development cycles, and you, because you didn't release stuff on the web, you had to like put it onto CDs and have it mass produced. And so it was a, a much more of a waterfall development process, yeah. right? Um, and so we three and a half weeks just cranking and cranking on this stuff, getting stuff done. And at the last minute, we had to do some smoke and mirrors. We had to take some shortcuts and say, all right, well, <laughs> like we're, we're flying out tomorrow at 9 a.m. Like, okay, like just do this, right? Just <laughs> screw it just do that right and you did that and then it all went off perfectly you're like why don't we just do that to start <laughs> like, why did why we just did we, do that why right? did we we went through <laughs> all this crap and so sometimes when i'm doing when i'm working on stuff like this i'll be like what if i what if i had to release this tomorrow it's like when you're in That's... high school or college you had a paper due and it's doing an hour and a half and you're just like all right just screw it you know this is what i'm doing like you know but as soon as you think well i got months yeah then you're like, well, you know, that's I should, what I, that's uh, what I mean about hyper iteration. 
Yeah. Like with Light, I spent like nine months building that mobile app and then got the couriers and then released it. It wasn't until I was out in the middle of Pasadena handing out cards. You realized that I realized the real I could have just I could have just started by handing out cards yeah. <laughs> with doing nothing. That's right. <laughs> That's right. You know, you know, people talk about this all the time and it's worth reminding people because we fall in the trap continuously. It's so it's so it's so seductive. Over it's almost over impossible not to over You know what the thing is? You do you over engineer continuously. So you almost have like I know a a, a, a um a, a term you like is a phrase you like is sort of uh, it's fractal. Yeah. You over over engineer on the macro scale mm-hmm. and you over engineer on the micro scale. So you over engineer on your entire approach to the project, right? You're you're putting things you're putting things ahead of schedule because you want to give them. Well, you know, if I'm doing that much easier and everything will fall into place, you do all that, right? Right. We how many times we've rationalized that this oh, week, yeah. right? Okay. We all do. We are well, you know. Da, da. And then you and then you over engineer on the micro scale. It's like you over engineer on what I need to do today. You over engineer what I'm gonna do in the next hour. You over engineer on the singular function. Like well, you know, it's like screw it, you know. And so you remember when we were coding together in AnyFoo? Yeah. And I was like writing some really crappy code and you're like well dude just refactor and i'm like here's the thing dude i am forcing myself not to refactor this on purpose because once i start refactoring there's never an end to it and then it turns out we get this beautiful code and then three we- and then a week later we realize oh we didn't need any of this code anyway just the fact that we spent two months getting a logo before we did anything on any foo was exa- yeah. exactly over that was at the macro level of <laughs> the, the over engineering over engineering <laughs> is fractal like you will over engineer at every level every time scale everything is over engineer it's like it's like assume that they're, that they're going to cut your head off a la game of thrones tomorrow if you don't have something working what would you do on in, what it, would you do? Would you build it in Excel? Would you build it in Google Docs? Nugget, would you just say, um, a, a number of a, a decent number of founders have like got to the point where they've sort of validated and they're building their product uh-huh. and they're they're checking in their progress in the in the progress checker, and a few people are doing this and it's like wrote wrote tests for the main API endpoint. I'm like, no, don't write tests. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, let's just get this fucking thing out there. It's, it's like a lot of a lot of over engineering coming through that. Well, if, in, if yeah. you're technical, I don't want to say it to anyone, but it's like, ugh. yeah. Well, I think people should listen to this and they can apply it to their own <laughs> right. situation. Hopefully, with a with a you know an honest uh, you know look. But the the I think a technical people who work professionally as technical people, it is their job to make stuff sure stuff is well designed, well implemented, well tested you are paid in a sense to do what we might, what would be considered over-engineering in an entrepreneurial situation, right? The, 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 the business itself has determined that X, Y, and Z need to be built. They want it built and they want it built well. It is, and so um, they don't need something really quick and dirty that, that mostly works, but has limited features just to get on test. They, they don't, that's not your, that's not your job. Hmm. I told you I want X, Y, and Z built. And so that's how engineering happens, even at startups, you know, that are bigger than a handful of people. It's like, dude, just we want you to build this Android app and you're going to do this, this and this. And then and if the stuff breaks or if stuff doesn't work, you know, it's incomplete, your boss or the people be like, what the hell? You suck. You're fired. You know, so so it's ingrained. It's ingrained in the culture for a reason, because it's a different job. 
And it's it's really a different job than the entrepreneurial process, which is like, dude, your stuff, like, yeah, you don't want it to be broken. Try and test it out a little bit, but don't spend That's a ton That's what of I was going to say. It's kind of a fine line. Like, there's been a few entrepreneurs who've sent me stuff and it just didn't work. And yeah, I'm like, just, dude, like, you got to you got to do basic testing to make sure it works. But if you say, well, I got like 97% test coverage, I'm like, wow. I mean, that's really bad, probably because you know what? Probably 90% of stuff you wrote isn't going to be useful in three weeks. You're, You're going to have to change it so that you wasted time doing not even gonna, it. It, it may not turn out that whole feature set is completely unnecessary. And yeah. not only do you spend time building, you spend time building the tests and cover. So it's like, it's like you just have to, um, you know, it, it's quick and dirty, man. I mean, that's what you got to do. And, and, and I think as, as engineers. Quick and dirty. Please let that be the title of the show. And dirty. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know, it's it's just just what it is. I mean, you if you're not if it's if it if you can't describe what you've done as quick and dirty, you've probably over-engineered. Yeah. You've probably wasted a lot. And over-engineering is bad because you probably built the wrong stuff. You probably wasted you probably spent five to ten times the amount of time and energy on it than you could have or should have. I, I've done that a ton already. I've done that a ton already with stuff I've done. But you have to fight against it. It's you just like fight, yeah. every day you have to fight against not eating donuts. It stops right? you. Eat, right? You have to fight against eating donuts. <laughs> you have to fight against. Right? Every day you have to fight yourself to choose, make smart decisions about eating healthy. Right? Go to sleep at a decent time. You know, get some exercise. You have to make. You have to fight every day. It's a battle. Every day when you sit down, you have to refine your vision, say, okay, what is the minimum that I could do to get this working? What is the minimum? Not like, well, I'm going to add to the things because I just kind of really for, want them in. For each thing you do. Everything. For everything. Like, it's, it's, it, you have to pass everything through this lens of how quickly can I get it done? Because ultimately, you need to get the answers faster. And like... Imagine it takes you six months to build something and get it to market. Okay, it's going to take you a minimum of six months to get the answer, does it work? Now imagine you can get something to answer in two days. Well, in two days, you can find out, does it work? You know what I mean? And if you can do it in one day, well, in one day. So basically, six months is going to give you hundreds, hundreds of iterations if you can do something every day versus just one iteration of spending six months. Yeah, and I think... I can't remember what it was. It was like the guys from 37 Signals or whatever Basecamp might have written about this or somebody wrote about this not too long ago and I can't remember the article, but it was like a minimal viable product doesn't have to be like a broken, incomplete kind of product. It's just a simple product. But what the things that it does, it should work, right? Quick and dirty mean it doesn't mean it doesn't work and it looks ugly. It means it works. It's just like behind the scenes you haven't over-engineered a bunch pure. of stuff. It's not, it's not like a purist engineer would, wouldn't look at it and go, that's good. Dude, I'm writing it to, it's, it, there, there's no database. It's saving it in a Google Doc or it's writing it to a text file or just something stupid simple. On the, but, on the, but the user experience should be good. It should work and it should be complete in, their, in terms of what it does, right? Mm -hmm. It just has, you can go back and then if, if people start using it and liking it, then you okay, now we can go back and clean some of this stuff up. And I know people later feel like, well, that's inefficient if you do it right from the first point. But the problem is most of the stuff that you think that you're going to need, you're not going to need, or it's going to be different than you thought. And I don't know. So anyway, I don't, we don't want to be a dead horse on this, yeah, but yeah. that's, that's absolute truth. So was there anything um, that you wanted to bring up? I got a ton of stuff I could talk about. Yeah, so, let's do um, Okay, let's see. So um, I should probably give a little update on uh, Math Academy, right? 
I think so. That, that's so a, little, a the, little thing called Math Academy. Yeah, the, the, so the um, the um, so we are so this is like the third year. You know, the, the the original guinea pig group are in ninth grade now, right? Our pilot class is in eighth grade doing calculus. Our you know, so we have hundred and fifteen, hundred seventeen kids or something in it. Um, I don't have the exact numbers, but I talked to the district. And with the administrators of the district we work with, and it looks like our class is going to be substantially larger. Our sixth grade class, our income class, will be substantially larger than last year, which had 48 kids. So you had 48 kids last year? Year before. So, no, oh, no, no, I'm sorry. So our eighth grade class has 25 among two schools, and then in the seventh grade class among three schools has 38, and then the sixth grade class across three different schools has 46. This, this one. That's like so that just that's our current yeah right yeah, so every right, year yeah. it's gotten bigger and I don't know the specific number but it could looks like it could be substantially larger I was just hoping to break fifty like double like double larger no 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 like no, 70, no, no, 70 no, no I don't know if I don't know if it'll be that big I I'm happy if we broke fifty yeah but it may be closer to sixty even well I'm curious to know with that many kids like are that many kids special in math or is math academy just really working for lots of people who are good at math okay so there's there's um like anything there's gradations of talented in math or gifted in math right i mean it's just it's not like it's not binary like you're not you are it's it's a it's a, it's a normal distribution like anything everything you feature in life your height your vision right i mean everything probably follows a Normal distribution, <laughs> right? There are going to be people way off to the left and way off to the right. Most of us are right in the middle there. And um, but but you are you are supercharging kids who would be otherwise normal in a normal lane. Like, yeah. So so what I want to say is there are kids in math academy who are in insanely gifted, and there are kids in math academy who are um, have some natural talent. They're they're better than you know your average kid for sure, and they're uh, they're high achievers, they're hard workers, and really motivated. You know, they're yeah. that they, you wouldn't go well. This kid's a child prodigy by any stretch. You'd be like, oh, they're you know they've got a they got some aptitude for math, and they just love it and they work hard. Okay, that's enough. That's enough to do to work at this pace. And what's the percentage of of those kids? Uh, oh, you mean within that are of each type? Yeah, like with within Math Academy, what would you say? I mean, is there anyone in Math Academy who's just kind of normal? like but just enjoys the no, it, it, no no so everyone everyone who's in there is like they've got aptitude and they roughly, have, they work hard roughly around the 95th percentile 93rd percentile maybe we might have some kids who are in the 93rd percentile which is low end but you compare someone who's a 93rd percentile to somebody who's in 99.9th percentile and it's a it's a huge difference in terms of their ability I mean, one person has to work really hard, struggles to make some of the connections. The other person takes a number, number of times to go through it to really nail it down. Or you have some kids who, like, you start to half explain it, and they already see all the connections and see everything, and everything mm. just falls right in place. And you're just like, wow. You know, mm. it's just... And, and But, you know, again, ma or, you know, I've, I've said in past, ma isn't math is not one factor. There are probably, you know, you could break it into 20 or 50 different individual abilities mm -hmm. that you call math some is spatial some is reasoning some is working memory some is logical analysis some is i you know i don't know like you could sit down and there are probably people who, who have done research on sort of 
IQ and cognitive abilities and say, well, you know, there are five major categories of mathematical ability, which we call logical, uh, you know, spatial versus geometric, spatial, logical, this, that, you know, and then each one of those have some subdivisions. The question is, you know, if how much research there is to support these things. But from what I've seen, each kid has their strengths and weaknesses, you know, mm -hmm. um, there's some kids who are really good at sort of spatial visualization. They can just see stuff. Other kids, it's like they're like literally blind in that way. <laughs> they're just, they can't say anything. You're like, you can't see that. You're just like, <laughs> whoa. Like, you know, not that you say it to your face, but you're just kind of like, wow, this kid really cannot see that. Like, this is so obvious. Well, another kid, they go, well, you know, if you turn it around this night, it's obvious you're like, how do you see that? I don't see that. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. Um, you know, uh, anyway, so there is a limit to the number of kids that could comfortably work at this pace for sure. And you have to be very, you have to be careful. So how big not. is the year? Oh, there's 1200. Okay. There are roughly 1200 kids in the, uh, in the sixth grade, sixth grade, I think sixth grade. So out of 1200, you're getting something like 70. So, so something Maybe 50 in the, to 70. yeah, something in the 5% range, Got it. but we have some kids coming in from out of district who, who would have gone to another school, would have gone to private school or leaving or coming back from a charter or private school. To I don't mean to ask a dumb question, but what would happen if you put the 1200 through math Academy? Oh, um, and you tried to move at that pace. Yeah. You just leave them behind. It's like, you know, it's like you said, okay, we're going to run, um, could they get any of it? We're gonna run. We're gonna run. We're gonna run four five minute miles, and you let everybody make go. And immediately people are like barely out of the gate. And then after a mile, like half people are starting to walk after a quarter mile. And you're like, "Well, we're just all running." You know, they just like, <gasps> you're like, "Okay." So they couldn't. They just they couldn't get it. Couldn't yeah, get even it. within Math Academy, as as, as Haran has said, he's one of our instructors. He said, "Yeah, he's like half because his class could go twice this speed." We could finish calculus. We've gone from zero algebra through calculus by the middle of seventh grade with half those kids. Is not even a challenge for them. Yeah. Right? Where some kids, there are a few kids who are just like, they're, they're like, you know, maybe one or two kids are just like, oof, you know, should they keep going? Has anyone ever, has anyone ever been like that? And then towards the end, all of a sudden, boom, they just like got it. And then they started supercharging. Has that ever happened? Uh, no, what tends to happen though is kids in the beginning of the sixth grade, because remember when they're coming to the sixth grade, they're little kids, right? They're like 11, 10, 11 years old. Yeah. Right? They're very much still developing. Mm -hmm. I mean, all through middle school, they're very much developing. Their brains are unfinished works, right? Yeah. And, and they have fits and spurts and things that they get good at, things that they're bad at. And, you know, they, but I think there's a few month of adjustment period. You know, they're coming out of fifth grade, elementary school, little babies. Mm. And now you throw them in here and they're sort of like, you know, you have a whole different level of expectations, a whole different pace. Some kids take right to it like a fish. They've been, they've been bored out of their mind in math for three years and they're like, thank God we're finally doing something interesting. Where some kids are still, they're just kind of immature, unfocused. They're not even sure what you know, why they're in there, you know, and they, it takes a little while to kind of, and sometimes it's for the instructor. It takes a little while to like figure out like what's going on with this kid because some kids are really smart, but they're really slow. They have their, their clocks are slow. <laughs> like you ask them a question and they have to spend a lot of time thinking about it. And you're just mm. like, why is this taking you so long to figure it out? And then they go, and then they eventually figure it out. Or you have some kids are, who are just, who just hot, very fast clocks, but you, until you, sometimes you have to, you have to be careful about misinterpreting speed for sort of cognitive 
power, right? Mm. Some kids are fast. They're just, and, and, and usually they are also really bright. At least, so if we take the math kids who are really fast, usually it's a combination. They're really smart. But sometimes the kids who are slow, you're like, this kid is just like clueless. And then all of a sudden they come up with these amazing insights and these really great questions and they, they understand it deeper than everybody else because they've been contemplating it. Their personality, the way their brain works, they need to spend more time cogitating mm. on this new idea and thinking through it. And then and it doesn't sometimes it, it doesn't take it sometimes it takes part of the way through the school year before the instructor really clues in and says, Oh, I this kid is really good. You see the this answers really and stuff. Smart, yeah. They're just they're just slow. Got they're it. just slow. And we had some false negatives early in the year. We thought kids were really weak and there's no shot. And then they came out, we're like, and then by like mid-year, we're like, oh, wow, yeah, he's actually really good. You know, a few of them. That happened a few times. It's rare that you think someone's really good and then later you're like, I'm actually really weak. Yeah. It's just sometimes you just misunderstand. And like, I had one of the kids- So that's me. the main time it happens during the f- the sixth, the sixth. It doesn't happen in the seventh or the eighth where they're kind of held back and then all of a sudden they they boom. Yeah, because Math Academy hits a stride. You know, people go. And if you're Got not it. ready to go, then it's, I mean, we're now, now our instructors have seen enough of these kids. Everybody has a pretty good idea. There's all these different archetypes, you know, these different types of kids. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that type. I know the the overly sensitive, gifted type. I know the high achiever. I know the conscientious. I know the cocky kid who has really good number sense. who doesn't write, write anything down. You know, like there's these all these different types and that, that, are, that are successful. And, um, they each drive, can drive you crazy in their own for their own in their own ways, <laughs> right? But you're like, I know, I've seen enough, yeah, that I know the type, generally speaking. Um, and a lot of teachers don't get to see this because they don't see the density of these kind of kids, so they don't see them as frequently, so they don't really they don't read them, and so a lot, yeah. and so they don't read them very well, and so that's why you hear all these stories like, yeah, my teacher never understood me, or stuck me in the quarter, or they put me in the the dumb class, or they, you know whatever, because nobody understood them. We, I mean, our we see a lot of these kids. We talk a lot about them. I mean, there's been a lot of, in fact, even like a lot of the instructors with our, our gifted, the head of the gifted um, program or gate education at, at uh, the school district. Gate stands for gifted and talented mm-hmm. um, education. And uh, they're doing like a book reading stuff about, you know, with, with your instructors on identifying gifted and working with the gifted children. So we're continuing to double down on it, but yeah, it's, but, but one thing that's interesting story is like, you know, like one of our kids in the ninth grade who I worked with for years, he's just really slow. Like you come by five minutes of test, like David, can you write your name down on the, t- can you write your name down on the test? Like maybe like, <laughs> you go, oh yeah, yeah. You're like, David, come on. But then he, um, so he will underperform on tests because he just, uh, you know, you make a test so it has a reasonable length of time, but if he needs twice as long to think about stuff, he's going to underperform. And he also has a tendency to make silly mistakes just because he's kind of just he, like you look at his paper and it looks like a madman wrote on it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but as Haran will say, he's like he has this, he's, he's these great, these very deep insights into what's going on. And I always said since young, I said he's the most likely to be a mathematician. And Haran's like, yeah, I agree with you. Like he could actually be a mathematician because he thinks, whereas. Colby, my son, is very fast. He can do a ton of stuff in his head, but he thinks about it, get it done. He's like, I'm done, I got it. He's not sitting out of the rest of the day thinking about it, moving around his head. <laughs> hmm, that's really interesting. He's just like, all right, got it. Next. You know, and uh, where David probably does spend a lot of time just kind of contemplating, probably lying in bed at night thinking about it, you know, and thinking deeply about things. And that's, you know, what mathematicians do. Of course, we're not necessarily trying to, like I said, I've, I've said in the past, we're not necessarily trying to train everyone to be a mathematician. We're setting you up to be, you could be very well on your way if that's what you want to do. 
but I'm just just to give you to, to give you types. options. But, options. I'm, but I'm just trying to give you different types. Yeah, yeah, right? got it. No, that's types. great. Okay, so so you're saying so the so the the Math Academy update is that it looks like there's going to be more more kids than before. Yeah, the other thing too is we're, we're trying to hire multiple new mathematician instructors. Mm. So one of our instructors is leaving because his wife got a job at Princeton, a tenure track job. She just got out of her PhD program, got a tenure track position in, uh, at Princeton. She's got to take it, right? Yes. And he had warned us. He said, there is always that possibility. He's like, "Our chance, the, like, very likely that we'll be staying in LA. My plan is to stay in LA. I want to do this. But he's like, if something crazy like that happens, then I would have to follow her. And we rolled snake eyes on that one. So... <laughs> And it sucked because we really like Michael. He's just, he's great. He's done, he's done a great job. But the kids love him. Parents like really love him. So, but we went through a period of, um, so I didn't find that out until like February and that, that he was leaving. I was just like, oh, or maybe it was end of January. And I was just like, you know, I remember it was just a big punch in the gut. I remember Sandy just was just like, you know, we found these great, because the program is, you have to have great instructors. That is essential to for success. You have to have these type of people. So you've been looking for more great instructors. So then I was like, okay, so I and I got to do it again, and got to find some, you know, pull something out of a hat. So I go on to MathJobs.org, and we put it, you know, pay for another job posting, and go through, you know, getting all these applications, and then I would call up the one, and then I would call the ones that looked promising, and I'd have like an hour, hour and a half conversations with them, and then we, then I end up finding of like a fourteen or so that applied. I mean, about half of them out of the gate didn't even have work visas. And the district is not like a university, like we can't sponsor those kinds of things. So um, we just don't have the capacity. The, yeah, the, yeah. So it was like, okay, so we had like five or six that were U.S. citizen, you know, people with PhDs in math who, and of those like five, like that I identified were really, really strong. Like, just you talk to them and you just talk within the first two minutes. You're like, oh man, this, this person sounds great. Like, really? Just friendly. So, and so five of them were that good. Friendly and enthusiastic and, uh, you know, good communicator. And I mean, just everything. Yeah. And so we ended up flying five of them out over two weeks, two different, so two separate weeks. And they would come and spend a day with me and I'd take them to all the classes, take them to lunch and say, we'd take them out to dinner and just get to know them and explain every aspect of, the program and our philosophy and the history. And so they really get in and then they, the next day they come back and they do, we have like a panel interview with the district and then they do a demo lesson. Yeah. Um, with the kids. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was like the, the consensus was that any one of the five, we take, all great. We take any one of the five, but there were a few that were like, yeah, like we're so strong. It was just like, how could you possibly say no? Yeah. Well, how do you, I mean, what do you, I mean, I don't even know. I don't even know like what, like how do you differentiate one from the other? Like I like his choice in footwear better. I mean, you know, I mean, what, what, what was just ridiculous. So what we decided to try and do is raise some additional funding, create a, a you know, to support and over hiring, even though we don't have enough classes from this year, we will next year and the year after as we're growing and just lock them in now. Wow. And that's what we're trying to do. We're in the process. We have one who's already been extended an offer and they're going through that process. We have two more that we're trying to. And so you're, so this is the charity branch of you trying to raise more funding. Yeah. So we work, you know, math mechanics. So we work with two 
Pasadena Education Foundation and Pasadena Community Foundation, and we have grants and things. We also have some wealthy patrons who have... What would they do for that year? Well, rather than teaching a full load, they might teach a reduced load. Oh, God. So they'd like switch out teachers. Like well, they, they would they rotate. would maybe teach two or three classes instead of three or four, and maybe Got they'd it. work curriculum, and then they'd be working on their credential, and you know, we would um, have teach some prep classes or some other stuff. Um, but it would just be one year and um great just take it easy for you they were just like they were the kind of people who you could just build you build a program around like they were just super enthusiastic they're just like they they were the kind of people i mean they were all like really enthusiastic when they heard about it and really interested but when they came out and saw it their uh, their jaws just dropped they were just like what the (laughs) hell like you actually see it in action and you, you hear about it and then you don't you don't really get it until you see it and then you see it and you're just like and the one guy, he articulated it perfectly. I mean, I heard versions of this from every one of them, but he goes, he goes, yeah, you know, when I teach calculus at the, at the university level, I get maybe one good question a week, maybe, and I live for that question. Because, you know, the university students, they're just, they're checking boxes. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're more the most part. I mean, especially if you, unless you're teaching the ma- people majoring in that subject, that you're teaching, everyone else is just, it's just a requirement. Man. And so, like, but these kids are so kind of doe-eyed, like, like it's all new to them. They're excited. So they're going to ask every question under the sun, you know? They're interested. Yeah. It's fun. And yeah. so, so they're asking, re- but they're also their depth of understanding. It's not just like, you know, is this going to be in the test next week? Do we have to know this? <laughs> you know, why is this? They're more like, you know, they ask deep probing questions, which make a mathematician have to think and go, yeah, that's a really good question. So the reason that is, or, if you look at it in this way or whatever it is. And he's like, he goes, he goes, anyway, that guy goes, I go, maybe one good question a week. I've heard eight so far today in this one class. Just great questions. He's like, and they were just like, they're all looking at each other, just shaking their heads, laughing. Like, he's like, they just learned this this week or today. They they seem like they've learned, they may have known this for months, the, the depth of their comprehension and stuff. So anyway, it's always really fun when they come in and see that and they just get blown away. And then they see like the, um, you know, I took them over to the ninth, the, the high school class, the vector, the what's a multivariable calculus linear algebra class, and they're just like, they're just like sub me in, you know, like I come in, I want to, I want to, I want to. You still, do you still have the documentary crew? So the documentary people, well, of course, they're independent, right? Yeah. If 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 we had them, like we were funding them, it'd be a PR piece, right? It, it you know, which is not what it is, but they had trouble um, raising funding, so they are they're just sort of. They've just decided to put things on ice in the short term because if they do keep shooting, they might as well cover like the seven, you know, the kids from sixth or seventh grade through high school. And it's a whole different thing and just shoot period some stuff periodically. That's cool, though. That'd be great to see where do those kids go in their life, you know? Yeah. So um, they're great people. And, uh, I, you know, I although I, can't, I have to tell you, though, being followed around with a camera and stuff sometimes is a little exhausting. You know, okay. every time you got to do something, it's like, oh, hey, guys, I'm making something for for breakfast, do you want to come? Oh yeah, okay. So what time are you gonna be there? Okay, we'll go talk to the management, make sure we can shoot and sign, and we want to mic you up. And you're just like, oh god, you know, something I just want to just not have to Jeez. worry about that stuff. It yeah. sounds really cool, and after the first three few times, it's like kind of like exciting, and then after about the tenth time, you're just like, it's a pain in the I ass. I don't really want to do this anymore. Yeah, I just want to just live my life and just build this program. But <laughs> you know, it's just in the end, it's 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 for a good cause i mean it's just it's just work it just yeah. makes things harder but um so anyway hiring those people that's really that's really the focus right now is getting them locked in i wanted to ask you a question um how did it go 
reducing your cost to 50%? I think we're just about there. I think we're just about there. Yeah, I think it's... Did it go the, okay? Like, yeah, I any, mean, I think, any I, you know, Alex said that, you know, there was some disappointment, but everybody understood, you know, and I think he did about as clean, did about as cleanly and as humanely as he could do it. Okay. You know, I, I'm sure there are people who wish they could keep working on it or people who wish they could have some more hours or whatever, but yeah, it was just, um, I just couldn't afford it. It's too expensive. Yeah. It's just, it's just untenable. I, I couldn't maintain it. So, um, and did you get how are you on doing your hyper iteration to get your first version out? Going really well. So, we've got so what, um, Alex, I'm doing is going in sort of outlining courses, and we have the course framework. So, I've built a couple of courses, and so the, the, the real key piece is. So if you do an automated course, which is essentially a series of assignments, so we define this is the first day's assignments, this is the second day's assignment, right? It emails you at the beginning of the day and says, Justin, here's assignment number 17. And you click on it and you go read a couple of tutorials, work on some questions and do it and you're done. Mm-hmm. That's how it works, okay? Um, and then, um, which by the way, I think is better than if someone says, hey, just start working through it at your own pace. Because that's when people just, they work really hard for a few days and they lose focus and they get burned out and they're done. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, you get something Every day, it's just like a course. You know, you can go at an accelerated pace, but it's like, you know, this is what you got to do today. Okay. You know, so um, the um, the the key is when you create every assignment covers like you know, say two new topics a day. Um, then, and then in addition to questions for the topics, there are questions from previous days using the distributed practice model, right? The, and, but figuring out which topics to choose is non-trivial because it depends on a lot of factors. It depends on, okay, so because I can't get, I can't, because there could be a lot of uh, stuff that's queued up to be reviewed today, but you, you're not going to do assignment with like 100 questions, right? Like we have to limit it. So that means we have to create a, a we have to prioritize certain topics over other topics. Yeah. And it's like, well, do we pri- prioritize um, the the first review over the second review versus a third review. Okay, what if a third review has been kicked back? It's been pushed off for three weeks straight. <laughs> like, at what point does that take priority? You know, this has to be a higher priority, right? And then um, things like, um, well, you know, they did this review topic, but they didn't do very well on it. In case should we, should does, does that take priority over these other ones, or how much priority? And how many questions do we assign for that topic? Do we give them two questions? Wow, they completely face planted. So maybe they should do five. Or maybe three is enough. They did pretty well. But like, what do you do? And then this question is like, okay, so if I do topic C, which depends on topic B and topic A, okay, those are both prerequisites for C. If I'm reviewing topic C, can I just and if A, B, and C are all up for review, can I just do C? But I thought that I thought that you weren't. Getting into that level of like technical sort of link listing, I thought you were just doing a doing well. No, courses. but you still have. But I have to have some way yeah. of prioritizing. Now the algorithm can become can be relatively simple. Can simple won't be as good at first, but we have to create an algorithm for that. Okay. And the funny thing is, I was because right now I looked at the code that Sivalot had written to do that, and it's just all like database calls, and I'm just like, which are all done through like an ORM, right? And I'm looking at it and I'm like, this is way, way too complicated to do that way because I know you're not including the complexity that I need. What this has to be is I need an algorithm that takes the necessary data in the inputs 
goes through the stuff and output that's completely abstracted from the database so i can create a bunch of test scenarios because i have to hand tune this thing to see if this makes sense because i've been doing this for years i have a pretty good sense of how this needs to work now at some point we have enough data we can machine learn it and it'll be better than even what i can do but right now i need to make it at least appro approximate what i would do as an informed experienced practitioner of this you know like making sensible review topics and so you know, right now it's all embedded database. I'm like, all right, here's what I want you to just take all the damn database calls out, make those all first, create data, create a data structure that you pass to the function and have the function do its magic and output like, here are your four or five review topics and here's how many questions you want to do for each topic, okay? And then I can, then you can write a bunch of test cases to go through that and say, okay, yeah, I, using the algorithm this way, this still, these still aren't coming out really how I want. Mm -hmm. And so I think the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to, rather than having it a bunch of if-thens and stuff, is have like a weighting algorithm for each factor. And depending how far the factors are off, it weights stuff, penalizes or bonus, gives a bonus. And then it kind of, and then it gives everything sort of like a, a weight between zero and one. And then it sort of you know, and how many, and then that depends how many questions it is, and then it kind of cuts off. And say, okay, you have, you can't do more than an assignment that's more than thirty minutes long. You know, we know how long certain questions take, and does all this stuff. So that's what I got to do over this. That's what I'm going to actually start working on this weekend. But it's something I need to work on next week. Nice. But it was funny because I wrote all the stuff to Sivalot, and then yesterday, I, my developer who does a lot of stuff, and then I checked in the code, and it's still his database stuff, and I'm like, I don't think you understand <laughs> quite what I'm getting at here. Do you have? Um a, a launch date that target i i wanted to shoot for the end of the month okay. but i don't have a hard launch date i'm just as quickly as i can but anyway, one thing i want to just say about the uh the algorithm stuff is like this is one of the things that just has to work right because if it doesn't work right and the kids don't learn the stuff correctly it's hard to correct for that later it's not like you have some SaaS app someone goes on and say oh i couldn't do this feature could fix it it's like the kid in assignment, they don't understand what's going on. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you have to kind of get that algorithm right. That's sort of one of the key pieces that has to be. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't take that much work, but I just have to spend a few days, I think, just kind of really leaning into it. And Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's so I have a couple small things. I know we're kind of getting late in the Yeah, go on. In the call. Uh, so uh, uh, what was the first thing? Um, yeah, so I told you... A um a friend of mine and I we didn't talk about this in the show. I'll talk a little bit about that. So a friend of mine who is very experienced in the high frequency trading world, mm, um, yeah. who um who he and I have started working on a high frequency trading project. Um, and we decided to start with cryptocurrencies as just sort of a way to kind of get the thing about cryptocurrencies is they're accessible, like anybody can do it, right? You don't you, you don't have to co-locate a server. You don't have to go and buy hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of data. You don't have to have expensive exchange memberships. None of that. Like anybody could right now sit down and start writing something that gets data in real time and makes and trade $30 worth of cryptocurrency, Yeah. right? So the problem is, so one of the things I've been trying to do is collect data, historical data, because we need historical data for our research. Because one thing we're trying to build our research infrastructure um, you know, he's spent, you know, years and years doing this. And um, so we need lots and lots of, of data. Problem is, the, the, we're one of the, even the first tier exchanges, it is a nightmare. 
the data is is horrible. It's like there are just constantly constant problems. And I don't mean like every day is a problem. I mean like every 10 minutes there's a problem. I mean like every five minutes, like, oh, the, the, the book data, the, the order book is uh, bad because this thing, the update is wrong. I got to resubscribe. I mean, it's just like, it is a shit show. It is a nightmare. We've got, we've got a nugget. A few people have su submitted to nugget. Make, make um, crypto data as a service, like make that available. Sell, sell that, you know, because it's really bad. Yeah, it's it's really really frustrating. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm just like I have to say, it's like I mean, it's it's by far it's not any close to the hardest code I've ever written, but it's some of the most annoying because it shouldn't be that hard, but it's extremely it's it's extremely uh, uh, there's there's always something going wrong in new and exciting ways. But how do you know it's going wrong? Like what what kind of stuff? Like? Well, so like if if you're looking at all of the bids on the bid side, all the buys. Um, yeah. standing orders and all the cell standing orders and an update comes in and it says, here's an update to the, one of the buy orders, but it's the price is higher than the sell order. Is that doesn't make any sense. That's wrong. Bad data. Like, what is that? And so this is from historical data. It's this just, is real time data. Oh, even real time. You're data. collecting real time data. Is, is it about the exchange that you're working with? I mean, could, is, yeah. could you try a difference to exchange? Yeah, but this is actually one of the bigger ones. This is one of the, you know, you're just like, good grief. So, um, uh, one of our, um, one of our, uh, uh, uh listeners, Michael, uh, Rikita yeah. is, uh, he's been involved in that world. And, um, remember he started crypto IQ mm. years yeah. ago. Mm -hmm. And so I asked, and I've been emailing him periodically asking his input and he'll say, Oh yeah, this or that. And he's just like, yeah, you have no idea. It's just, I cannot come on like, this is ridiculous. He's like, you have no idea. He's like, you're just, it is so annoying. It's the data is so ridiculous. It's such an amateur hour. He's uh, like, well, you wait. He's like, you're, you're, he's like, you're getting frustrated. He's like, most of the code I write is, and most of my time is spent on handling bad data of some kind or another. Bad feel, bad this, this. It's not like, gee, what should I happen next these, these situations? It's no stuff screws up. How did your system not lose a ton of money when that happens? He's like, you're frustrated now collecting data, and I understand it. He's like, wait till you start trading real money. <laughs> and so I'm just like, oh, you know. And I was like, you know, my initial. So generally speaking, I think it's bad to be involved in like one, more than one project at one time. Yeah. And yet I am. And the reason is, is because like I'm doing James, James Thomas, who we interviewed years ago, mm -hmm. um, is um, he's a really good friend and a true expert in this area. And... Um, you know, when someone like that wants to do wants to do a project with you, you know, it's hard to say nah. Mm -hmm. you know what if Joel Spolsky says, "Hey, Justin, let's do a let's do a <laughs> nah." I'm working on something else, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah and Travis yeah. Kalanick says, "Hey, do you want to come be the CTO of this startup?" What's your answer? You should probably say, "Yeah, okay." Yeah. Yeah, I'll do it. You know, and so even though I'm kind of splitting my time, which is frustrating and causing me a fair amount of. Uh, you know, just stress because you have to just have too many, you know, balls too many in the thoughts. air. Yeah. 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 But I, I figured, you know, okay, so what I need at first is I'll just write some data collectors for these different exchanges and we'll collect this mountain of this data. And then he can start doing research, which will take months of research just to even come up with anything that looks good. So I'm like, okay, this shouldn't take me too much time. <laughs> 
famous last words, you know, because you're just like, okay, I just, you know, write this. And, you know, you take a little bit of work. You're figuring out, like, get to handle some some aberrant situations and data you're gonna, how you're going to store it, where you're going to share it, and how you're going to manage but it. And shouldn't you just, I mean, even if it is bad data, shouldn't you just be storing that so that they're analyzing bad data? Bad data. Like, they're, they're analyzing real data. That would be interesting. Jan. James might be say, yeah, he might. I think I think he probably wants the data as good as possible. I'm, in fact, I mean, I think but, I think I can get it working this weekend. I mean, I, I thought I would have had this working like a three weeks ago. But they're going to be basing assumptions based on gerrymandered data that you give them, so that they're not going to come up with the right answers. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it's. See, the thing is, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's really hard to do research. It's really hard to figure out how you could find any value in working with bad data. I'm really not sure if there's anything super useful with that. And I, I that's why I'm just like, I got to get this stuff working, you know? Hmm. I okay. mean, it's like, um, so I just rewrote a bunch of it yesterday and I'm just annoyed because it should have been done three weeks ago. Mm. And I'm just like, damn it. You know, I, it's like just, ah, <laughs> like just work, you know? I mean, because a lot of it is, it's not like, Oh geez, I misread the API documentation. Oh, I forgot. it's like no, like I've had, you're sending me bad data all the time, and I have to figure out like how do I, what's the best way that I can handle this and recover for this, so that's not a problematic. And then oh wow, oh there's another way you're screwing it up. You know, like here's here's one. Here's just 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 yesterday, last I found. So I subscribed to a bunch of these currency pairs, right? Apparently, I think Bitcoin BTC has been named, or they're using XBT now in some instances, right? Yeah. So I subscribe to ETH slash BTC, and then it sends me subscription notifications and data for for that, for ETH BTC, as well as ETH XBT. And so I don't have that in my, I don't have that subscription in my hash, you know, in my associative array, so it blows up. I'm like, why is it sending me? Except for something I didn't even subscribe to. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like, yeah. God, you know? I mean, you'd, you'd think they would probably send you a subscription error, like, or subscription notification, like, deprecated name or something. Yeah, Not just yeah. sending you data for another symbol. <laughs> I and know. you're just like... <laughs> Not to mention that, like... So, like, I was talking to Michael about... I was emailing Michael about it, and I said, how many times do you get these bad book updates where it's like it sends a bid or an offer that's like a bid that's greater than the lowest offer or an offer that's less than the greatest bid. And he's like, well, you know, a couple times a day, and then I have to resubscribe and do this and blah, blah. I'm like, once or twice a day, I'm saying that like every five, 10 minutes in some of these things, like constantly. So I send and get a snapshot of this data and then I subscribe to updates and then update an internal data structure representing it that I have. And I have to constantly be like, oh, bad, well, resubscribe, boom. <laughs> boom well, resubscribe, this huge new data file coming out. Boom, uh, like over and over again. And then I'm trying to subscribe to like 50 of these pairs and it's just like constant error. It's just like an error handling nightmare. Man. And I'm just like, I gotta hope this is worth it. <laughs> this is just so annoying. You know, and then meanwhile, James is like, so how's the data coming? I'm just like, oh, not well. Like this is not, this is not an enjoyable process. I've had a week like that where, you know, I just go and open up my text editor, Atom, and I'm like, okay, go, you know, reopen recent project. It doesn't open it. So I'm like, why isn't it opening the recent project? So then I go and Google Atom and then 
there's nothing about it on the internet. And then there's just no way to open a recent project. And then all of a sudden I find out for no good reason, Atom on my particular version has stopped reopening recent projects. So I like uninstalled the whole thing, reinstalled mm -hmm. it, same issue happens. And then I'm just like, oh my God, what am I going to do? So finally find some other plugin, some other way of doing it. Yeah. But it's just been a week of just crappy things like that. Even, even server install scripts that were working all of a sudden just stopped working. So I'm trying to set up this new project and it's like taking me, you know, an entire day wasted just trying to get, you know, node working because the node module installer system is not working the same way it used to. Yeah. People change shit. Why do they just don't change it? Don't change shit, you know? I know. Well, one thing, one thing I wanted to say too about the whole crypto stuff. So the reason we're doing crypto is really just sort of like as a, uh, almost like a test bed as a way to kind of get to speed yeah. so that we can then move to proper finance. I mean, I'm just telling anybody who wants to do crypto stuff. I mean, just it's, th this is just the data handling. Not to mention the fact that as a U.S., as if you're a U.S. citizen, you are barred from using a lot of exchanges. You can't even do a lot of stuff that you want to do. You can't sell short. You can't make, I mean, it's just like even how you even legally are allowed to do certain things um, is really, for everything we've said that you just can't. So it's very, very limited process. So I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, um, I don't know. Part of me wonders if this is even, worth my time but at, just, at this point i think okay i mean i'm i'm past the part i'm, pa I'm past the point of of no return i'm like okay so let's get some data collectors sunk cost fallacy you, you, you're yeah. you're past the point of sunk cost fallacy where you know you're really into sunk <laughs> well, cost fallacy now <laughs> i think i no, i think that i said i would get the data collectors going let's get the data collectors going for this few of these exchanges start collecting data he can start doing it and then we'll see we'll see what but the only reason why you went crypto was because that was the faster way of working through this research faster because, and a lot less expensive because ultimately you want to actually expensive. do it with real shares real or stock futures or real futures options. yeah and yeah yeah no it's true yeah so we'll see maybe an update on that right but you know we're messing around yeah messing around with it um and not two other small things i just wanted to yeah, right. go, so, go, go. Yeah. so i i'm going to go to my first um annual uh you know you just have an annual checkup and i haven't been to the doctor in like four years so mm. i gotta yeah go. me too and um it's funny. Uh, I did you go to my same doctor? Did I give you? No, no. Okay. So um, I guess Phil did, but um, before he moved to Chicago, um, I was reading that thing. It was talking about like you know cholesterol and eggs. Like they're talking about how your diets kill you and like you shouldn't eat more than three eggs a week or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I eat a week, full eggs in crazy twenty four. Oh my god! I eat four a day, six days a week. So it'd be interesting to see what my cholesterol is at. Although there, there, I think for, you know, dietary cholesterol versus your cholesterol in your blood is, I think it very, uh, it varies quite a bit on people. Some people they can't they can't eat much cholesterol that really affects their their how much cholesterol in their blood. Where other people, the last time I went, I had no problem. I've been eating eggs like that for a long time. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see if I'm sort of immune to that or if all of a sudden my doctor's like yeah you need to pull back on those eggs <laughs> pull there. back on those eggs jason <laughs> your cholesterol is really high um what was the other thing i was gonna say uh yeah i got my the operation superhero workout i, I almost got it down for an to an hour like i can be literally back inside the house within an hour including travel time yeah. oh that's so good i counted it's uh it's 10 minutes each way i'm literally the time I leave the house to the time that I am on the floor actually doing something is 10 minutes. So you have, you're driving. Driving. Yeah, okay. And quick stretch, 
maybe a couple of machines exercises, then do some interval training for, you know, 20 to 30. If I don't do weights and I do 30 minutes, 30 to 30, 35 minutes of interval training, if not, I do weights and then like 20 minutes. Have you seen um, the machine called the True Form Runner? No, I don't know what that is. So basically, because I, I still work with Anwar and I'm, I do training once a week with him. Mm-hmm. And he's he's he was he, your formal super slow trainer. He, guy? Yeah, he used to work in the super slow, but now he's he's since um, left that super slow, and I've stuck with him, and we're just doing sort of regular stuff. Well, just stuff that's really relevant to me, anyway. Um, but he's he's in this big. He now trains in this huge center that's just a gym for personal trainers to train clients. Mm. So no Has one, strength and conditioning is that what something it? like that? It's, yeah. it's 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 up, yeah. it's up walnut. It's not it's not that it's it's not as upmarket as that one because I okay. I saw that one online. Yeah, it's more sort of down market, but it's huge. It's still like a big warehouse inside, and it's got all these and just personal trainers there training people, which is kind of cool. But they have this machine called the uh, the freed uh, the 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 true form runner, uh-huh. and basically it's like a scalloped. It's shaped like this. It's like a treadmill, but and it doesn't have a motor. And so you run the you you sort of run and it's just like frictionless right on the thing. But if you go more up the slope, it makes you run faster. Uh, right, right, right. It's it That's really, clever. It's really good. It's really. Have you been doing that? I, well, I mean, I just do it for like you know five minutes, oh, whatever. When, when when I'm with him, but the machine is incredible. Like if you get a chance, have a go of it because it's so different to a normal treadmill. If it just feels really natural. Nice. You know, and you, and it's perfect for hit. Because it's so frictionless, you can go up that hill and you can be like running as fast as you can. You don't yeah, have to instantaneously. like. Yeah, no buttons, nothing. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Anyway. That's cool. And I, um, yeah, I don't have some meetings with the orthopedic surgeon next week and probably the week after. This is so about the elbow, elbow. and then yeah. I get my toe buttons. Yeah. So we'll see what happens with that. Although mm. I'm going to, we have the solve competition coming up at, at Caltech. Oh, good. Um, next month, so I nice. want to push any actual procedures. Is Phil going to be at that? I haven't heard from. Him. I could call and see if he wants to fly out for it. You, you know, would, I'm up you, for. Would you up for it? Oh, every time I asked, it was the last time you went. You went on vacation. Oh, I wasn't around. Remember, oh, yeah. remember? you were like, yeah, you told me you were in a com, and then you were in San Luis Obispo or something. Tell me the date so that I can. May 11th. Uh, May Saturday, May 11th. Okay, May 11th. I'll I'll lock it in. Okay, that'd be great. I'll see if I can get Phil to come out. I haven't seen him in yeah. forever. He'd probably come out. Yeah. Um. Last thing I want to talk about is Game of Thrones. You watch that? Yeah, we're up through. We just started season six, so we've been watching pretty wow. much every night straight for the you know whatever however long it's been, a couple months. Sheepers. So I think we'll we'll finish up six and seven partway through season eight. So we'll kind of be able to finish with everybody else. Do you watch it? No. You've never tried? I've, I've tried a couple of times, but uh, I tried a couple of times that we couldn't get past the first few episodes. Yeah. It was just kind of like, it was just sort of like there were some really char- some characters that you just immediately hated, and it was like political backstabbing and ugliness, and I was just like, ugh. But then if you just kind of punch through the first three or four episodes, it just gets better and better and better. You know, everybody told me that. They said, look, you just got to invest in it. It just ended up, it's ultimately the best. Jo- I guess I can't ask you if Jon Snow is still alive. Yeah, where don't you are. don't yeah. ask. Yeah. First of all, I don't know. You know, 
I mean, although there are some characters we know because you see them on the uh, one little guy. He's, he's never going to die. Well, the you see, guy. you see them on advertisements for season seven, eight. So you know yeah. certain. So I, I, if you come into season late, you're just gonna there are going to be some spoilers. Like that guy's not going to die, obviously. Yeah. Or she's yeah. absolutely not going to die because I see her. You know, I show up on a Google News. You know, uh, Game of Thrones season seven or season eight, and you see their face. You're like, okay, well, apparently they're not going to. But that doesn't necessarily ruin it. I mean, a lot of people die. Right, a lot of major characters die. Fear of Walking Dead mm-hmm. is really gonna be is getting good. You think it's getting good? It's getting really good. They've they've basically axed the entire cast. Yeah. And they've turned it into the Walking Dead. It's got really interesting characters, just like Walking Dead has interesting characters. I think the first bunch of characters they had were just not anywhere near interesting, but now they've got very, very cool people. Yeah, there was kind of a weird something about it just didn't work. Yeah. I don't think is that that well. I mean they they tried to make it based on a family and a couple of families together. And then, I don't know, it was okay, but it just was not the same level. You just, one thing that makes Walking Dead good is, is, is that they are very remarkable characters that essentially come out of a comic. Are you still watch it? Yeah. Yeah. I haven't, I'm, I've lost in, I, I think I started like season, uh, season six or something. Yeah. When they ran into Negan, maybe after the second season, after they ran into Negan. Well, the Negan, Killing, well, you don't don't. Everyone don't knows this public knowledge. Now don't don't talk about. It. So Negan does something bad. I mean, I think that was really difficult to get past because uh, you really like that character and you don't want that character to die. Right, right. And and most people found it super hard to get past that. Yeah. Um. But if you can, I think it's it, it ends up being good. So again. you watch Fear the Walking Dead and Walking Dead both. Yeah. What season are you on? And, the, and they, a lot of people think that they're going to merge. So it's going to be this, a lot of people think that the way that they're doing is it's going to be this weird thing where it's like these two series with sort of like interchanging kind of similar type stories on two entire shows. Yeah. Well, there'll only be like a couple of characters, the original characters left at most. From Oh, the yeah. Thing. There's so barely like, any. Barely any. I was surprised to come of the people they killed off and for the, I guess they were just for a clean slate. Like we got to kind of reset this thing. You know? I mean, they just did something. They just did yeah. something that was so bad. Yeah. So, are you a season four or season five? Are you in the current? Current, yeah. So that's not on Netflix or Prime, so I can't even watch. I think I've watched. Oh, I pay for it on Amazon. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I want to catch up. I still like it. Okay, I just don't like it. It's not as good as it it could be. I kind of it's like just because I've kind of (laughs) been watching it so long. I kind of like, well, you know. What What else do you see? Anything? Is there anything else good you're watching? Um, I I don't know about good. Um, I Scott, I watched the, this thing called Timeless that was kind of interesting. Um, watched that whole show. I like this one called The Tick that's on Amazon Prime. Have you seen yeah, The yeah, Tick? Yeah, we watched the, you know, the newest one. I'm, I'm watching. I've, I watched the first one and I'm watching the newest one. Yeah, yeah, Sandy's always been a big fan of The Tick. It's it's. Uh, so we watching it's, just, it's kind of goofy and funny and yeah, it is. Yeah, and it's not great, but it's it's pretty good. It's it's pretty entertaining. I yeah, get, it's it's okay. Um. What else has been really impressive? Yeah, Silicon Valley's got to be coming back. Yeah, I can't wait for that to come Mr. back. Mr. Robot's got to be coming back for its last season pretty soon. Have you seen? Have you seen the um, Stranger the, Things? The, you know, Mr. Robot. You know that he he won the Oscar, right, for, for best actor for um for the, uh, playing, for the, for the uh, Queen Freddie, Freddie Mercury. Mercury. Yeah. Have you seen that Freddie Mercury Queen thing? No, I I, I hate Queen's music, so I can't. Sandy saw it like that. Omg, he acted like I don't know if there was an Olympic act acting. I mean, obviously, he the was, Oscars, but it was incredible. It was... So he actually did win 
the I mean, Jesus, he deserved it. It was unbelievable. Huh. What, what he did. You should watch it just for that. Just try and ignore the music. Yeah. Sandy, Sandy always likes, he really likes Queen and like, music. And I was just like, ugh. Every time a Queen song, because I was like, oh, I, hate, I hate this. Like, we, we, the first, because he's got these, he's got these prosthetic teeth, uh-huh. right? Because of Freddie Mercury. Freddie Mercury did. So the first scene you see and you're thinking, Mr. Ro-, you sort of see a little bit of Mr. Robot there. And it's kind of weird. It's Mr. Robot with prosthetic teeth. Uh-huh. But then after like 10 minutes, it's like, he becomes Freddie he Mercury. He is Freddie Mercury. It's incredible. It's so well done. Okay. I really, really recommend it. I'll consider it. Just, it. just just, to see his pure talent as an actor. And there's this one scene, there's this one scene where they, where they basically, they recreate the whole of Live 8, Live Aid, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? And they it's have- It's 84, right? Yeah. They, ha- they, they literally have Wembley full of people like, and they recreate this entire thing. I don't know how they got 100,000 people in Wembley. And, but he acts it. He recreates it and it's just it's just gobsmacking to think, you know, he's he's doing this acting in front of these hundred thousand people, recreating this performance. How the hell they get a hundred thousand people? In a perfect way. It's just like You sure they did just a CGI and have like could be CGI, I don't know, but it's very well done if it is. Very well done. Did um I saw we saw I just saw a documentary on the uh the on Oasis for that band, Oasis. Yeah. I'm sure you being being British, do, you yeah. know all Noel, about those, those two Noel brothers. Gallagher, yeah, they're, like they're he's, like just, he's working in 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 like construction yard, and he's got all these songs in his mind, and he thinks I'm gonna be big one day. I'm gonna be big, yeah. and like no, you know, no one sort of knows anything about them, and then they release. And then. So for some of our listeners who are too young, so Oasis was really big in the mid nineties. They were like yeah. two years. Yeah, Champagne, Supernova, Wonderwall were the yeah. two big ones, I think. Um, That's right. They were great, great songs. For yeah, sure. really good. They were really big in England, though, right? They were the biggest band in England for yeah. a while. They had this sort of rivalry with another band called Blur. Right. I don't really know who that is. I mean, I probably know their songs, but... You probably know this, this song. They ha- Blur have a very famous song called Song 2, which is just, woohoo! Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. <laughs> so you had a band around that time, didn't you? <laughs> right. Yeah. So were, did you think of Oasis as sort of like one of the bands? You're like, oh, we're going to be, we're going to be like Oasis. That's what we're no. Gonna... I always thought it's it, it's more like I always had a really, um, you know, how you kind of look down on something because you think you're kind of better than it. Yeah. That's sort of what I the the you look down on Oasis. Yeah. Like I sort of thought <laughs> I looked down on the Rolling Stones. No, no, but clowns. it wasn't like the Rolling Stones. Like somehow, somehow, my perspective of Oasis at that time was that they just. They they weren't really real musicians or something like that, and I, I'm really? completely wrong. I mean, I, that was a stupid perspective, but that's what my perspective was. Right. But they were they were no, they were great. Yeah, great. really and, good. But when when were you guys are doing your stuff seriously? What years? Uh, I would say we finished in two thousand. Okay. Yeah, so probably ninety ninety seven to two thousand type. So of a little time. bit after them. Yeah. Because they were 94 to 96 yeah. kind of range. Yeah. So yeah. you were kind of... Nin- little... started in 96, yeah. Okay. So right at the tail end of their mm. run. 96 to 2001 was us. What was the biggest venue you ever played? How many, what was the biggest... Did you ever have like 1,000 people or, did you, or was it more like a couple hundred people? Small. No, we did... We did, uh, we did a couple of, you know, like a support thing where we'd, where we'd be in a big venue. So you, yeah. were, you were like a, one of the first... I've had were, that you, experience. What are those called when you, you're on someone else's ticket? A or support... Someone? Support act. A support act. So you come on for before them usually. Yeah. And support artist. And, yeah. And so you you were on that for. I would say probably five hundred was our largest. 
All right, well, and just for people who have may have forgotten or know, so our intro-outro music is a song of yours, right? What was the song, uh, Generation Zero? Generation Zero is the name of the is song. Is that your favorite song, or is it just having to be the best uh, fitting it's for It's just this? got a really great intro. Actually, the song itself isn't that good. Yeah, I heard the rest of the song. It was okay. The, yeah. I agree that the intro the, the, was... The intro was, is just, just good. In fact, that was kind of like, I think that that was probably it our downfall we, we were good at like little parts but we weren't good at doing can pull the whole thing the whole get. song <laughs> is that a, what they call an arrangement or yeah composition i don't know or? like you just you, yeah it's just songwriting yeah but um yeah I, I do like the intro and the outro to our show to, to this podcast i think it's good do, 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 do. yeah whatever all, right. Go. all right well georgie and jack are outside and um that's that's, that's it for that's it that's curtain cool all right that's a wrap we're out